0: I have three places, really two places I would like you to turn this morning. The 42nd and 43rd Psalm where we were last week would be where we're going to begin. And then we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Psalm 42 and Romans 8. A man named Thomas Watson was a pastor, and he and about and several thousand pastors were kicked out of their church in England because they didn't conform to certain unbiblical standards in the Church of England. This was in 1663. He went through a lot of difficulties, persecutions, and trials because of that. And shortly after that time, he wrote a little book, published it, called All... Th- Things for good. That's what it's labeled now, but it's, at that time was called a divine cordial, or a divine medicine." It was from Romans 8:28. And he started the book by saying this, "Dear Christian reader, there are two things which I have always looked upon as difficult. The one is to make the wicked sad. And the other is to make the joyful, or the godly, joyful. Dejection in the godly arises from a double spring, either because their inward comforts are darkened, they're just just down there, or their outward comforts are disturbed. And to cure both these troubles, I have put forth this ensuing treatise, hoping by the blessing of God, that it might buoy up their desponding hearts, like take a life raft, inflate it, and cause your hearts to soar up, even though they're right now just troubled. I would prescribe them to take now and then a little of this medicine, this cordial, all things work together for good to those who love God, to know That nothing hurts the godly is a matter of comfort, but to be assured that all things which fall out shall cooperate for their good, that their crosses shall be turned into blessings, that showers of affliction water the withering root of their grace and make it flourish more. This may fill their hearts with joy until they run over. Last Sunday, I preached Psalm 42, 43 on spiritual depression. Do Christians, real Christians, get depressed? Do they get discouraged, really down? Why do they get there? And what should we do about it when we're there? I want to draw your attention to the 43rd Psalm in verse 5, where it says, and it's the same as 42, verse 5, and verse 11. The psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Friends, Christians face discouragement I have no doubt that some of you this morning are in some pretty deep ways. They face depression, dejection. What, what word do you want to use? Melancholy, despondency, or as the psalmist says, cast down. And this goes for pastors, kings of ancient Israel, prophets who defeated God's enemies like Elijah, the prophet, the king of kings as Jesus faced his coming death and knelt at the Garden of Gethsemane. His heart was filled with sorrow, even to the point of death. Sometimes our heartache, our discouragement is because of our own sin, our unconfessed sin, anger, bitterness, our refusing to forgive, patterns of not turning to the Lord for help, Sometimes our act of depression our depression is because of our unbelief in God when we do not turn to the Lord and when we surrender to just complaining we spiral out of control with undisciplined minds we are tempted to turn away from God in those moments of darkness we think that God owes us the right to be happy not all people face emotional Pain at the same level playing field? Our temperaments in this room vary. There are probably some of you in this room who like sharks skimming across the stimulus of life are neither highly up or highly down. They just keep moving. And there are some who seem are, some, are, are always up and some that go down like dolphins who have their ups and downs for various reasons. David was probably like a dolphin. If you read the Psalms, you see him at times exulting with praise and then downcast in the pits of despair. We said this last week there is a mysterious impact of our bodies, our bodies and souls, the spirit that's within us, and our physical bodies are totally linked. You cannot separate them, and they impact each other. And so there's a mysterious impact for some on your body because of brain chemistry, mental makeup. Technical words fail me here that impact our moods, our dispositions, our ability to think clearly when we're hurting, leaving some what seems like a perpetual state of gloom, sometimes for no reason at all. They're just hurting. For the psalmist in this psalm, he is downcast. He says his turmoil, his sadness, his pain is within him. Tears have been his food, it says in Psalm 42, day and night. He goes about mourning, crying out, God, when will I come into your presence? He remembered close fellowship with God as he worshiped God in the temple. He was probably a spiritual leader of worship, a worship leader, maybe like Pastor Jay. And he says in verse four of Psalm 32, 42, these things I remembered when I poured out my soul, I would go to the throng, I would lead God's people in procession, and that's not where I am anymore, God is now absent in my life, some of you might think in terms of, I remember seasons of my life when it was so good, and I was on so much fire for God, and he was so dear to me, and when I would read this word, it was like, it was like golden manna from heaven, as I read, my heart would be Like, ready to cry and leap with joy, and now it's just dry, cold. Where are you, God? Where are you? I long for you. To make things worse, David said, or the psalmist says, that he has enemies that are attacking him, taunting him, mocking him, and saying, Where's your God? Trials are added on him, and he says they're like deep calling to deep at the roar of God's waterfalls, and it's like breakers upon wave after wave come against him. The psalmist does not turn away from God in his depressed season, and I pray that we wouldn't either, but that we would seek the Lord, and we would seek not just the Lord's help, but the Lord himself. The Holy Spirit inspired the psalm and ordained it that it would be sung by His people. This morning we sang a version, or at least one based on Psalm 42. That song we learned is beautiful. And we sang another version last Sunday. Why did God ordain these kinds of down and dark and discouraged songs for God's people to sing so that they would learn from the psalmist's situation. They would be, we would be reminded that it's not uncommon for God's people who have actually been saved by God to still feel these things and what we should do to respond. And as I said last week, God is the ultimate answer. He is our help and our shield. He is the God of our salvation, as the psalm says. God uses means in our lives. That doesn't mean that if God, God still uses means like medicine at times and a good night's sleep or getting back to health. He uses a counselor or a therapist or a friend who helps us in these times of need. He uses the confessing of sin where that's needed. Psalm 42 and 43 point us to deal with questions rightly, to preach to ourselves hope in God. I will again praise him to not listen to self and all of the criticism and attacks and slanders that myself may bring to me or my enemy or Satan will bring to me, but treat, to preach truth to myself. And as I want to kind of focus in on my last point of last week, when I, and I didn't spend much time on it, my last point of last week's sermon was desire God in his worship more than anything. I want to read Psalm 42 and 43. Would you follow along? And as I read it, would, I, I'm going to emphasize God here. I, I want to emphasize the depressed psalmist, the song of the depressed focuses on God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God? For I shall praise again praise Him, my salvation, my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, Yahweh, or the Lord, commands His steadfast love. And at night, His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, And my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation, and my God. Amen. Dear Faith Church, there is nothing more important for you and me than to long for the living God. We need it more than anything to think upon and to know This covenant God that we just worshipped at communion, it is critical to the times in which our hearts are cast down and it's critical to all of our life. We were made to feed upon this living God. When he uses language like, my God, that's covenant language. When God said, you and all the descendants of Abraham and everyone who has the faith of Abraham, I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's personal. It's covenant. It is. He makes a promise with us. He holds us to himself, and he keeps us to himself forever. God promises to be our God, and we are his people. Would you turn with me now to the great eight? That's Romans 8. We're going to spend pretty much the rest of the time there, so it would be really helpful for you to fix your eyes on Romans 8 with me this morning. If Romans is, and some say, the greatest mountain range of the glory of God in the Bible. Perhaps Romans 8 is the highest peak. And just after, just as we get to Romans 8, if you're reading in Romans, you have Romans 6 and Romans 7, in which, the, in which Paul beats us up as he reminds us all How we, who strive to do what's right, find ourselves breaking God's law, and the harder we try, His law shows and flares up in our hearts, more sin and law breaking, and so the things that we want to do, we don't do, and the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing, and we find this terrible thing going on within our hearts, and we cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this death, how This sin that's in my heart, and we get to Romans 8, and oh, it's like a fountain of life to us. And I hope it would be a fountain of life to us this morning. I want to point you to... I would would point you to one of my favorite non-biblical books. I don't have a copy of it this morning. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in his 22nd chapter, at the very end of the book... He has a chapter called The Adequacy of God. You'll see my heavy reliance on his talking about Romans 8 from that chapter. I just encourage you towards that whole book, but in that chapter. Let me display this morning to you whether you are downcast of heart or you will be, or you'll have somebody else that you need to pray for and care for. Let me display to you the precious grace of God to soul-saddened hearts. I want to finish this sermon of going from Psalm 42 and 3 to the New Testament here, pointing you to a medicine cabinet for broken and downcast hearts. Because I'm there often, and I will be there again, and so will most of you. I know I heard from a lot of you this week. To those who are afflicted, lonely, hurting, longing but parched, taunted, and tormented. What I have to say to you is for those who are inside the covenant of God, what I mean by that, those who have been truly saved. If you're not saved, if you're not in Christ this morning, I am so glad you're here. But I want to say to you that this array of blessing and medicine for your heart is not yet accessible to you. And you have no claims to these comforts, but we welcome you to them this morning. Jesus does. By the free and glorious offer of the gospel, Christ. I offer them to come to Christ if you would but repent of your sins. Because you have come to truly know that the only Savior is Jesus, and that He's the Lord of the world, and you surrender yourself to Him. The one who died for sins, rose from the dead, and is at God's right hand, and will someday come to judge. This psalmist that we were just looking at hopes in God. He says, preach to yourself, hope in God. I will again praise Him, my Savior and my God. And this psalmist preaches truth, the gospel, He preaches the truth, and I want to say the gospel, and that's what we must do in our lives. Gospel in Romans brings, this gospel in Romans brings to us sinner and sufferer forgiveness, reconciliation with God, a covenant relationship that lasts forever because God sent his son who died on a cross, paid for our sins, rose from the dead, defeated death, ascended an all powerful ascended up into heaven as an all-powerful king and is at the Father's right hand as advocate and interceder for us. So let me give you, I just wanna give you like four things, two sets of four things for you to like just grab hold of this week, this month, this season to say, and it might be one or two of them and it's gonna just go, I needed that. I need this for my soul in my time right now of discouragement. I'm dealing with my own sin, and I needed that. I'm dealing with my own failure. I needed that. I'm dealing with the hard circumstances. I'm dealing with something I don't even know why I'm hurting, and it's, I'm lonely. Two sets of four. In, this, in Romans 8, it gives us so much to preach glorious, reminding truths to us. What should I preach to myself when I'm accused Taunted? Downcast? What should you preach and remind yourself when you're saddened within? What can you say about God? Hope in God. What God? Who is your salvation and your God? Preach the grace of God and the God of grace. Okay? That's what I want to say to you. Preach the grace of God and the God of grace. First, the grace of God. I want to give you four things about the grace of God from Romans 8, 1 through 30. So, no, don't worry. It's not going to be that long. I'm going to go through them quick. There are four glorious, amazing gifts that, that this, the, book, the author of Romans, Paul, gives to us in the midst of sin and suffering But we have received Christ, and he says, First of all, you sinner, saved by God's grace, have been given gift number one the righteousness of God, or the righteousness of Christ. There is not, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son. He made his son, 2 Corinthians 5, to be sin. Even though he knew no sin for you so that you would be the righteousness of Christ. And so, 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness. This, we need this, this. We never graduate from this. Brothers and sisters in Christ at Faith Church, do, I don't think we possess what we've been given. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. And so we need to daily wake up and say, I can't believe it. I don't deserve it. My conscience sometimes tells me I, I don't feel like I'm worthy of this, but God, thank you that you declared that I have Jesus' righteousness so that when I pray, yes, I need to confess unconfessed sin... But God looks at me and says, I've forgiven you in Christ. You have his righteousness. You can talk with me. There's no condemnation on you in Christ. You will not burn in hell, but instead you will receive my blessing because of Christ. That is something that every soul that is saddened can have their heart lifted and gladdened. That's medicine for our hearts. You are now clothed in the righteousness before God. So answer the accusations of the devil or the enemy or your, that voice in yourself, in your mind saying, no, I'm in Christ Jesus. I have been given his righteousness. That's my new status. That's my new de- reality. Here's the second gift that Romans 8 gives us. If you were to look, that, the righteousness of God, you read that at the verse four verses. Sprinkled throughout Romans 8, 1 through 30 Starting it, well, really, it, it began earlier that it refers to the Spirit, but here's number two. You've been given the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Verse 11, Romans 8 If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, I just stop here. Do you realize how amazing it is? that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. If you're a believer, the spirit of him who, do, who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's a mystery I don't understand, but I need to possess that awesome possession more truly in my heart and mind, and so do you. It says here, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your your physical bodies, through His Spirit who dwells in you. Or look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit of... Helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercede, helps, Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This pastor needs to regularly hear and be reminded when discouraged or encouraged whether feeling strong or feeling weak, no matter what task, whether it be the smallest or the biggest, and you need the same thing. I need to remember the grace of God and that he has given me his righteousness and he has given me his Holy Spirit as his presence and he helps me in my weakness. And oh, is my weakness big and much and great and so is yours, but he is sufficient and he's with us. He helps us pray when we don't know how to pray. He helps us in fear when we would go back into slavery of fear. He reminds us that we are children of God. Oh, and that leads now to the third amazing gift of the grace of God that you and I need as medicine when our hearts are troubled. And that is the adoption as Sons. Now, I, I debated whether to say adoption as children or sons because it refers to both. But in the, in the New Testament time, it was only a son that received an inheritance. And this is the idea. And, it, and in the Greek, it actually does say sons, even though it's not, an, it's not only for men here. It's for all, men and women. But we become adopted as sons, inheritors. And this is a gift that can bring help and healing to the most discouraged spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, look at verse 14, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And if The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. Ephesians 1 You've been predestined in love for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. I have five children. I, as a very imperfect parent, I can't imagine loving five people more than I can. I just got another one now. I got a daughter-in-law. Six people. So much. I I I just can't believe I could. There's nothing I would do to help them. I think I I think it'd be easy to say I'd give my life for them. I would give. I would give anything I could do to help them truly, truly be helped into their deepest, deepest need. And I'm, and I'm a sinner, imperfect, full of selfishness, pride, and arrogance, and imperfection, and lack of wisdom in so many ways. And yet, if, if that's true of me who's a sinner, we, we have a, a father now. What a gift to be adopted, chosen, brought in. And so when our hearts are so discouraged because of the taunts of the enemy inside our minds, discouraged because we've just been broken by our finances, or the, or the relationship that just, just crushed us, or the, the dreams that have been failing time and time again, or we just don't know why we're discouraged. We need to lift up our eyes and see the grace of God and say, you, I am a child of God. He loves me. He he would never let me hurt like this unless there was a good reason. He would never allow this pain for one more second than it had to be. Everything I read about the Bible, he's in control. He could stop my pain at any moment and he hasn't. So it must be for my good are adopted as children. The last gift of God's grace is the security. The security now and forever. He says, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present day are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. I'm suffering, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. It's not even worthy to be compared. All your pain and suffering is... You are so secure because even your suffering will make your, the glory ahead so much better. Or in verse 28, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. The good that He is making us into the image of His Son. The hope that we have is incredible. We are secure. I mean, I just went through these very quickly, but just imagine this. Christian, speak to yourself, preach to yourself this week. You're discouraged. Remind yourself, I've been given Jesus' righteousness. I've been given the presence of his Holy Spirit. I have been given adoption as Son. I'm his He's my father. I've been given as an inheritance. He's caring for me. He loves me. and, And therefore I have security. I have security preach these truths, oh, I've been given all these things, and so the, we should ask ourselves what verse 31 asks ourselves, asks himself, Paul says, what shall we say to these things, and by that he's saying, what should be the conclusions, as you think with your mind, and then think with your heart, and ask God to help you think, what does this mean, that God would be so good to give you his righteousness, his own spirit, he becomes your father and you're his son or daughter, you're, ch- you're children of God, and he, keep, he promises to move heaven and earth, work all things for your good. Nothing is against you ultimately because of him. What shall we say to these things? And so what, what Paul does in verses 31 to the end of this chapter is he pivots from the grace of God in showing these gifts to the God of grace in what he's, who he is for us. You remember Psalm 42 and 43, the greatest joy that David had or the psalmist has is, is not the gifts of God, it's God himself. He doesn't say for some of us we go, God, would you just give me comfort? If you if you're there too, that's great, but I just want your comfort. And for the one that's hard is being changed by God, they say comfort aside Just give me God. And as we get to the end of this Romans 8. We find Paul saying. What shall we say to these things? And he asks four sets of questions. That tell us four things about who our God is. God is our sovereign protector. God is our sovereign benefactor. God is our sovereign champion. God is our sovereign keeper. That will heal a hurting heart. Maybe not in a moment because the clouds still are there, but we must preach ourselves. hope in God. Hope in God, He is our sovereign protector. Look at verse 31 of Romans 8, "If God, what shall we say to these things? if God is for us?" who can be against us? We memorized that several years ago. Whenever I asked the question, if God is for us, you answered, who can be against us? Let's try that. I'll say that. If God is for us, who can be against us? Ready? I'll ask it. If God is for us, who can be against us? Pretty good. Let's try it one more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? How are we secure? We so are so secure. See, what What Paul is saying, there are a lot of things against us. Satan wants to destroy your soul. You're going to be against you sometimes. You're going to be one of your worst enemies. But if God is for you, you're nothing in comparison to him. He'll overcome you as a problem. All your enemies. We live in America saying, oh, persecution is coming and it may Paul writes this knowing that it's very likely he's going to be arrested or he's going to be taken and he's going to be killed for the cause of Christ. He knows there are people against him, but he says, and compare it, think about it. If God is for you, you are secure. This is covenant language. God is for you, God is for his people. He causes his face to shine upon us, he works all things for good, all our sufferings. Are not worthy to be compared to the glory he promises that God who's for you, and he is a protector. As one hymnist writes, a sovereign protector I have, unseen yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command. He smiles, and my comforts abound, his grace as the dew shall descend and walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend. He is, as the psalmist says in 42, my rock, my refuge. He is our God, the salvation of our face. Would you this evening, would you this day, would you this week, feed your soul with meditation that God is for you? Not for your selfish ambitions and plans, but He is truly for you. And if He's for you, who can successfully be against you? He's your sovereign protector. But two, do you see how He's also our sovereign benefactor? A benefactor is someone who watches over, provides, cares for someone's well-being because they can't fully provide for themselves. That's what God is for us in Jesus Look at verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, that's God, not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? I mean, we've already seen he gave us his righteousness. He gave us the Holy Spirit's presence. He gave us adoption. He's given us security. He's going to give us, he gave us his son how foolish it would it be for us to think he'll spare anything else that we truly need? All the monies and all of the lotteries won in the past 50 years are not worth the glory in this question that is asked and for our minds to go, I get it, Paul. He will not give, spare anything truly good for me. He gave his son for us All for us to save our souls, to meet our truest needs. God will provide, faith church, he will provide, even though it may not feel like this, and it's faith that grabs on when we do not see, God will provide all that you need, dear downcast soul. He will bring water to your thirst when it's time. He will vindicate you against your enemy. He will make the waves that right now keep beating against you and turn them into a friend because he cares and provides for you. As Packer says, one day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us here on earth. And literally nothing that could have reduced that happiness has been left to us. He cares for us. All things shall work for our good. Everything is needful that he sends in our lives and nothing is needful that he withholds from our lives. That's our God. He is our sovereign, great, glorious benefactor. But three, he's our champion. As you face a downcast, dejected and broken spirit and you face your own sin, You face your own discouragement, and if we're honest as a Christian, we're going to face it and we'll go, man, how could God be so gracious to me? Look at the next sets of questions in verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That means his chosen. Paul used that word. He's saying, I want you to think you are God's chosen. You're saved by him. He chose you it is God who justifies. In ancient times, it was the king who was given the, der- the prerogative in order to declare the sentence that was appropriate and right. And if he declared righteousness or just he justified somebody, declared him justified, he made sure that there is no punishment against that justified. He made sure that he was protected. He was the champion of that person. And it says here, when you face your guilt and your conscience is overwhelmed and you think, how could God truly forgive me for all that I've done? He says, it is God who justifies. And then he says, who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, the point is he died, he died as an atonement for your sin, he paid for your sin, but more than that, he hasn't stopped caring for you. He's now at the right hand of God, he's interceding for you. Now remember, all these, que- these questions began with, what shall we say to these things? And it's as though Paul is saying to you, Christian, facing p- potential discouragement Sufferings in this world, you need to think, think, think. Meditate, meditate, meditate. Press into these things. Consider them. Work yourself out of the bad mood. Consider what God has truly done for you. He's for you and not against you. He gave his son. He'll give you all things. He's your champion. He declares you justified. He won't condemn you. Jesus died for you. He's praying for you. He's your advocate. Think Talk yourself out of that mood that reminds you that you are a loser because in Christ you are the righteousness of God and you are a child of God. Romans 4 says God is the God who justifies the ungodly. How can it be? Because of the grace of God. Christ died and raised from the dead. He is your payment for sin. He's now the advocate pleading your case day after day and he will always win that case. Jesus is your champion. And lastly, Jesus is your keeper. Or God is your keeper. We get from verse 35 to the end, that beautiful, beautiful ending. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it ends with, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then he says, there there is, he keeps us. Shall tribulation separate you? should distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He knows all those things are gonna come. In fact, they might die from it. They did die from it. He says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, this sovereign God loves us. Why He does so is because He is love, not because we are so lovely. He loves us to make us lovely. Jesus loves you, friend. He loves you not because you are, but to make you lovely. No one can separate you from that love. Not even you yourself. If you could, you would, knowing the sinfulness in our hearts, but he will not let you. Satan and circumstances in your life and sin and sword, you're in God's hands and he will not let them separate you. No man, no one can pluck you from his hands. So how can we let fear reign in our hearts when these things are true? Oh, that we would be like the psalmist in Psalm 42 who began as a deer pants for the water brooks. So my soul pants after this God. This God who is sovereignly protecting and keeping and championing my cause and caring for me and is my benefactor. Oh, righteous ones who are here, you who are not alone, but you've been given the Holy Spirit and you've been declared righteous and you are now sons and daughters of God, where all things work together for your good, let us cry out to our downcast soul, hope in God, this God, the God of my salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ, my king and my redeemer hope in god my sovereign protector benefactor champion and keeper my exceeding joy let's pray father oh please help us even as we come into this final song of expression of your secure hope giving never failing love in jesus Oh God, I pray that you would help those that are right now in a deep discouragement or depression, that you would help them be faithful in it, that they would hope in you in the midst of it, and even if their feelings aren't there yet, they would, they would praise you like I think the psalmist did many times. But would you come and bring them a special comfort and help? Would you help all of us? to truly live knowing what you have truly given to us. Oh God, I pray that we would cast away the types of fears that plague us so often and how little they seem compared to the great truths that you are for us and you're giving to us and you declare us righteous and no one could separate us from your love. Oh God, would you last, lastly, I pray that you would come And you would bring, you would make a son today, a daughter today of you. By granting faith, helping them to turn from their sins and believing. In Jesus' name, amen.